Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Cut the Shit, a podcast series that aims to take a closer look at the impact of the IT industry, both the good and the bad. Cut the Shit is brought to you by Plow Networks, a managed IT services company based just outside Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Brian Link, EVP of Products and Services here at Plow, and I'll be your host for this series. I'll ask questions, and with the help of our guests, try to dig deep on some of the key challenges we all face dealing with IT. So with that, let's cut the shit and get started. On today's episode, I am pleased to host another edition of Cut the Shit After Hours, our semi-regular series where I sit down with the co-founders of Plow Networks, Brian Law and Cameron Plato, and have a free-ranging conversation about a topic or two of interest. Today is our end-of-year podcast. We'll be taking a break until after the first of the year, so we figured we'd go out with a bang. We were supposed to record this face-to-face last Friday, December 9th, as a sort of pregame show for our company holiday party, which happened later that night. Unfortunately, we had to postpone that recording as Cameron was laid low with illness and Brian had a family emergency. But here we are today, Monday, December 12th. We are resilient, if nothing else. So while it won't be as festive as it would have been, it will still be fire, as the kids say these days. We're going to hit on a grab bag of barely related topics, everything from the sales shenanigans that go on at year-end to some pontification about small business versus big business and the difficulty of predicting the future, along with the usual trash talking. Enjoy. Okay, let's get to it. Uh, our drinks have been poured and the fire is blazing. Not really. Um, so let's talk a little, little bit of uh, year-end magic. And by magic, I mean sales magic. You know, those deals that seem to come out of the woodwork during the last month of the year. Um, given that the two of you guys used to be uh, salesmen or sales professionals, as I think they like to like, as you like to call yourselves when you're a salesman, uh, since that that's a big part of your past, I figured you might be able to talk a little bit about that. Um, can you give us a couple of examples of of some some year end or end of quarter or any of that kind of stuff? Let's let's stick with year end since that's where we are. Um, but uh, maybe give us a little bit of examples of some of the things you've seen that that made sense and that didn't make sense. So we'll, I'll I'll just I'll leave it there for you two to 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 jump in. Well, I'll let let's you take that first. <laughs> since you're on the I, VAR yeah. side, the VAR side made played let's make a deal much more than the telecom Which side. You guys can imagine you've been party to uh, even even some of those shenanigans in during our iteration of uh, uh, Plow. So um, first, I, I don't play that game too well. Yeah, I would say we're, I would call us, I'd, I'd, I'd say we're a recovery, like, you know, we're, we've been through the 12-step program, like, you know, we're in a meeting, hi, my name is Brian, I'm a recovering, uh, you know, sales sales uh, discounter or something. I don't know what that, you know, whatever that is, but. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, there's certainly what I think is an acceptable way to do it. And I think there's an unacceptable way to do it. Uh, it's just obtuse and awkward for everybody. So, you know, if, if somebody has a, um, if the stars align, and what I mean by that is if the buyer and the seller both have a compelling need or an interest in doing business within a, what I would call acceptable timeline, like, you know, if, if the difference between cutting a purchase order on the 28th of January and cutting it on the 18th of, or of December versus cutting it on the 18th of January is not that big of a deal to either party based on the, um, you know, the financial timeliness of things. Um, you know, make it worth the customer's while. Sure, that's that's the type of deal that might come about and say, hey, you know, seller's trying to get the deal closed before the end of the fiscal year. Customer doesn't really care that much either way when it hits their books. Um, so, because most everybody's doing accrual-based accounting anyway, so, you know, it, it, the deal books when the deal books, not uh, the other way around. So, um, you know, if it, if it if it's 
customer's going to buy it anyway, and it's worth it, worth incenting them to get it done sooner. Sure, why not? I'll present that. But if somebody's coming to me out of left field in, in in our position to to try to force something down somebody's throat, you know, 30, 45, 60, 90, even worse, sometimes six months in advance, that's ridiculous. And the kind of stuff you hear from the manufacturers like, no, no, this is a really good deal. I'm like, here's the thing. you got to remember, customers aren't that stupid. Like if you put that deal in front of them in December, I guarantee you in February, you go, that deal's passed. They're going to go bullshit. That deal's <laughs> the same deal now. If you can do right. it in December. Well, you can- and how much of that, how much of what we're talking about here got created is is now, a, a, it's really a function of something that happened a year ago, three years ago, five years ago, because someone started this and it's like a Ponzi scheme, right? Once you start, you cannot stop, right? right. I mean, you can't catch up. And so, you know, it, it, the other thing is like, I get the, the more ridiculous ones are the ones where someone hasn't thought through it. And and I get this kind of shit all the time. So you, you'll get somebody from the manufacturer side go, well, I know they don't need it till July, but if they could just buy it in December, then, um, you know, we'll discount it by like 20%. I'm like, okay, 20% equates to, let's just make up a number, a hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, but it's going to cost they're going to burn more than $100,000 worth of use of that between now and July. So until and unless it's, you know, to the to their advantage, like do the math before you come talk to me about that stuff, because so, I'm not going to go sit in front of the customer. OK, better yet, I'll do that. And make the make them look like the idiot that they are. All right. So we've, so we've laid out the obvious shit that needs to be cut around this particular right at a at a at a at, a, at this level. But let's go. Let's go back a little. Let's 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 go. Just step in the time machine. You sound excited. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, and 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 law. I know you said on the telco side, this was not necessarily your your bag back in the day. But give me some specific examples of shit that you guys had to do where you literally like, I can't believe I got to take this to a customer. Because I know I I know that there has to be that had to that had to be there that you had to deal with. Did you go in? bullshitting yourself that it was okay or did you go in and be like I right right and and that's what i'm saying did you know that or were you like looking back and like i was fucking kidding myself about that one <laughs> are you asking me specifically i'm asking both of you yeah I, since you both seem so excited to answer <laughs> I just say that like i never felt comfortable i never felt comfortable with that at all like from the from the very beginning and i didn't feel like i didn't feel comfortable walking in you know on a cold call and saying I'm here to see the boss and turning my back like they like they taught us to do, you know, back in the day. And I never felt comfortable taking some half cock deal uh, into a customer to I mean, my, my whole my whole being. Now, I was I was I was around a lot of people that did. But my whole being was always like, if you want to take that, you want to get the best deal. This is this is when you can do it. Like this is this is how this the, the pump is primed. Right. So if, if you want to try to make it work for you, you can. Right. I mean, yeah. To, to me, it was always so silly and that it was always at the end of something, right? It was at the end of the month, at the end of the quarter. And, and buyers that hadn't picked up on that, they always cracked me up. They're like, you know, it was like giving them. So I would just take and present it. Now, I heard call after call after call with that rep that's trying to make quota or with that sales manager that needs to make the number and this deal's all wrapped up in it. it the funny thing to me is the giveaway that takes place in order to get something that accomplishes the end of the fill in the blank month, quarter, year, and the margin that you lose as a result of somebody just not doing their job and running a good business. And it's acceptable. It's like, Johnny got the deal. He freaking got the deal. And it's like, he could have got it at 60 points, right? You know, 
I mean, if you don't just wait, instead you got to hit 20, but you got the revenue. So boom, there you go. The flash is in the, is the flash is in the house. It's, it's, just, it's so ridiculous that, that now I will say when someone does come to us and, you know, there is an opportunity, I'm like, I will take it to them. I mean, you know, I, I it, it, if it's natural, it's great. If it's unnatural, it's forced. Yeah. Those aren't good deals. I mean, in le- your customers can take advantage of it if they want, but right. That that's, that's different though. That's sort of a, that's, it's not forced if the customer is the one making the choice, right? I mean, they're obviously, obviously they're making the choice. They decide whether they want to buy or not, but the, but the pressure and the, the, the arguments being made on behalf of the deal is what we're talking about is, is, is really where the issue is. The, the, I mean, the economics of it all is so nonsensical. It's, it's, it's crazy. crazy going to do. I failed to do it, so I'm going to give it away so that we hit our forecast, but at the same time, we lose money. It, like, and, what are we, and, it's a, get, and it's a celebration. It's a celebration. Like, yeah. it is it's like it. Johnny kicked the winning goal. Johnny wasn't even on the field. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, he, he didn't even play the whole quarter. Like, but he you know, It wasn't a winning field goal. That's, that's Johnny kicked the field goal. You actually lost, right? I mean, because yeah, he got, he got I mean, to come back. He didn't get fired. <laughs> but everybody's yeah. happy. It's like, what? Hey, Cameron, no. I don't know if you remember this, but um, so I, I, without having exposure to really the VAR business as we started this company, we were, I don't remember, we were a handful of years in, three or four years in, and Cameron was out of town. And I went and sat in on a meeting that was one of our manufacturing partners. Um, really on the software side, and I'm gonna I'm gonna protect the innocent. I'm gonna protect the guilty. You gotta protect the guilty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm sitting in this meeting with some people on the customer side, the client side, that I know very well, and I've I've they're dear friends. As a matter, of fact. a couple of them are dear friends. As a matter of fact, and I watch this vice president literally sit. They, they go to you remember the cameras. Cameron's fishing in Costa Rica or somewhere. And I felt like I was on candy camera and I'm sitting there and his vice president says, he realizes the deal's not going his way. They're not going to be able to make this kind of commitment. It's a massive, very, very large deal. And he, he sits there and he undoes his tie a little bit, kind of sits up. He's frustrated. He and the CISO, he and the CISO kind of got into it. They got combative and it was super awkward. And I'm looking at the CIO going, oh, God, I like, I don't even know this guy. Cameron sent me in here. I'm just supposed to be taking some notes you know, out of this deal. And this guy finally looks at him and says, I need this for my job. Like, the guy in front of me has been promoted. The senior vice president of the president job is now open. I'm either going to get it or I'm going to get fired. And I need the deal. So what's it going to take to get the deal done? And I and I felt like this small just because I was a part of it. Just because I felt dirty. I felt <laughs> like I cannot believe I'm sitting in this meeting and we brought this guy in here. I can't get to Cameron and cuss him at this point. But he he did. He went there and the CIO, who's we all know, is one of the nicest guys in the world. He he just kind of eased up and he said, Johnny, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's not going to work. Yeah. Like, yeah. So whatever, whatever, I, I feel bad that your organization is, you know, a promoter die type organization, but like 
we can't do this still, dude. Yeah. Like, can't, can't fix that for you. Yeah. I mean, it, it is one of the hardest things for a seller, especially in the OEM world. I, I, I mean, look, you can look at one of them independently like, God, that guy's an asshole. But the truth be told. <laughs> and, and that doesn't not, mean that that's wrong. Right. You know, I, I know. <laughs> collectively, all I'm of sure them, you were called that at one point. Probably. Yeah, I mean, collectively, yeah. they're not all that. And I get the pressures they're under. I totally understand it. But the, they sellers a lot of times lose the ability to empathize with the customer or to hear themselves talking and to, to like read it through their lens. I'm like, like, hey, I'm going to lose my job. If you don't buy this. So effing what? Like, right, yeah. I don't mean to be insensitive, but that's not the customer's problem. Now, if they, if they said, hey, I, guess what? I'm going to lose my job if we can't get this deal done. So therefore, I'm willing to go do completely unnatural acts to make this thing happen based on what you're telling me that you need. Now, now we can find some alignment. Now that now we can find some some interest that benefits both parties. I mean, it's like people have forgotten how a deal works. It's not a one way street. But 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 even that, like, so I, I'm trying. I, I never I never was a salesperson. Like that was my extent of my job. I sold. I've sold a lot as a business owner or whatever. But it was never like a salesperson who had a quota and a, all, all that stuff, right? So I always think of it one level up, like. How much have you screwed up as an organization if your salespeople are in a position to say what you just said, which is, I'm willing to give away the farm so I can keep my job. I mean, I mean, I'll tell you right now that if, if that was in my organization, well, that guy's got to go right now anyway, then like, because he's about to, he's about to fuck the company to try to protect his job, which is the company's fault for creating that kind of a situation that should never be able to happen. That should never, that should never be possible. Right. But the next level up's on the hook too. And he or she's willing to do it as well. And yeah, the next yeah. level up's on the hook. It depends so, on how big the deal is. The this is great enough, because this is going to feed. Involved. This feeds right into what we're going to talk about later about big companies versus small companies. Because I think part of that is what we're talking about. Some of this is a function of size, but maybe not. I'll let you guys talk about it because y'all both worked in large organizations um, and now run a small organization. But, but we, we'll get there. Um, Morgan and Morgan, just size matters, man. Uh, look, look, but before, I mean, before I don't want to let this go because I do want the people, the good folks listening to this podcast, what kind of sweet deals is plow offering at year end? I mean, we've got to be rolling out some sweet deals to get to move some product, right? I mean, aren't we, don't we have some things coming? Let's you know take a picture with camera, with, like with Cameron. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the, uh, yeah. Promo we're running right now. You know what? That, that's funny. I know you bring that up in jest, but no. Uh, I mean, you know, first of all, we don't deal in public currency. Like we're not, you are not publicly traded. So I don't have to meet any, you know, who, who gets sad when we missed our forecast? The three of us, right? right so right. Um, it's, therefore, you know, we're not dealing with, you know, giving away money, giving away, you know, good money for bad kind of thing. I think that's what I'm trying to say. That No, there's no year in deals. If you don't want to buy it on January 2nd, it costs the same as it did on December right. 3rd. If you, if you need it by 1231, let us know and we'll try to make something happen. But it's not, it, we're not playing let's make a deal, right? That's not, that's not what we do. I will say, that's funny you bring that up when you need it. That's probably been the bullshit du jour as of late is the, well, if you want it by July of next year, you need to order it by Q2 of 2022. Yeah, they're trying to flip that. I feel like they're trying to flip some of the supply chain shit back on the customer, right? As a way of booking revenue in advance, right? I, I, it feels like that for real. You know? Yeah. Now, any of us who understand, you know, generally accepted accounting principles knows that that doesn't accomplish the goal. Like you can't, you can't book it 
you know, and not fulfill it. But there's a lot of well, you can you can try. <laughs> We've seen that. <laughs> yeah, I, I look okay. I don't. I, this this just starts to piss me off. So I don't. I, we we're gonna have to move on to another topic <laughs> because it I just drives me nuts to think about it that an organization could put themselves in that kind of a position. But you know, it is what it is. Uh, let's move on to something. Let's move on to something even more fun. Um, it's no secret that big tech has taken it on the chin a bit lately. Um, as layoffs and missed earnings have become the norm for some of the darlings, you know, like Amazon, Meta. I mean, I feel a little bit like coming to America. Um, it, you know, it'll always be Facebook, you know, kind of like, is mama call him Clay? I'm going to call him Clay. I mean, that's, it's, it's still Facebook, whatever they want to call themselves is Facebook, Meta. Netflix, Google, Salesforce, you know, on and on. There's a variety of them, you know, Silicon Valley darlings who are doing layoffs. Um, and I'm going to ask you a question. I want to ask you your thoughts about these about layoffs and sort of mass layoffs. But I want to give some a little bit of background on it first. And this is some this is something that sort of maybe you didn't know this. I I wasn't really familiar with it, even though uh, the guy that I'm getting ready to quote is what I call he's one of my favorite business academics. Which I know that makes me a giant nerd that I have a favorite business academic. But we're going to put that to the side for now. Yeah, um, Jeffrey Pfeffer, who's at Stanford, who's awesome. If you haven't read his stuff, you should. But he, he basically. Has been on the on the stump talking of, and for for years now actually, uh, basically pointing out that the research on layoffs is really bad in the sense that they don't actually lead to cost cuts, which is the reason people say they do layoffs, right? I mean, why else would you do layoffs, right? Is to try to cut costs, and as it turns out, companies don't actually cut costs when they do major layoffs. Now we're talking about larger companies for the most part, right? Um, he he says companies do it. Because they see other companies doing it and the analysts like it. So I'm just curious, and, and uh, Emily's going to put the, the article in the show notes for people to go take a look. But I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that. And if you guys were ever part of any downsizings or layoffs and what was <laughs> Yeah, that was for you, Law, being in telco. Well, how, how was that positioned? How did people talk about it? And what was, what was, your, what was, what, what was the lived experience of that? Law, well, that's all you. So it depends on which side you were talking to at the time. If you were talking up, there was one message. If you were talking down, there's another message. So what? Yeah, give us the up and then the down. Up was got to hit EBITDA. Got to make our EBITDA numbers. People got to go home. How do we? How do we cut that and make that work? And the uh, the the way we went about it, uh, or I should I shouldn't say that the way lots go about it is not scientific. It's uh, where can you make the biggest impact like with with the people and uh you you better make sure that you got your vacation policy in check too or it can it can make uh it can flip the even on you because you got to pay out that because you got to pay out that vacation and people and people not make their even targets and not get their bonus which that's a bad place to be so for for us internally at a at the vp level and above it was 100 percent about making even you weren't making revenue so how are you going to get these guys bonuses you're gonna get these guys bonuses by making EBITDA how are you gonna make EBITDA you're gonna cut cost and you know down to the freaking bone wasn't that I mean how much of that how much of that really ended up being brain drained because my assumption is if you're going to make an impact you got to cut people who are expensive now I'm guessing that in organizations larger ones in particular that's who we're talking about there are expensive people who are not particularly productive I have no doubt about that Although I would have imagined those people would have, if assuming this wasn't the first round of layoffs ever, my guess is that those people were already gone. So at what point, at what point were you literally 
mortgaging the future to do the layoffs? I mean, what, what, what was your experience with that law? Did, were, were good people getting cut or was, I mean, what was the deal? Yeah. I mean, it, listen, it was, it was so consistent. I can't remember when we got to the, the good people. I think the, the best of the best were, it didn't matter what they were making. Like they, they stayed right. <clears throat> the people that everybody really knew were carrying the load and getting it done. Those, those people weren't at risk. It was, it was the people inside those organizations that were, that had gotten kind of, kind of gotten tenured and <clears throat> maybe gotten that 6% raise or that 8% raise or whatever it was year over year, over year, over year. That's the one they'd grab. Um, you know, it was, uh, that's, that's how the vacation thing, the snap that took place because these people had, you're giving a real example. There is my assumption. Tons and tons of vacation. That was got to pay me a year's worth of accrued vacation. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Not, don't blame me for your, your, your policy. I didn't write it. <laughs> the, the message, the message down though, was always, you know, when in doubt quote Welch, like just well, what's what? What he do? Oh man, he's always cutting the the bottom ten percent. Man, you cut the bottom ten percent every year. You flip it, and you send the message. You clean it out, right? And the ones that you know are, are able to do it, they do it. They step up and they perform at a better level. So downward okay. was. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Get, give me the downward. Close that. Yeah. Say downward was. You know, hey, you know, you you got to do the job. Like you can't. You know, if you're not doing the job, you don't get to stay. And you go through a. You know, I'm sure that. A lot of organizations go through like some performance evals and, you know, even though you do six month, you know, reviews and you do annual reviews, all of a sudden this, you know, let's do these performance evaluations and let's get those out and let's stack rank our people and, you know, off you go. Did you refer to that information when it was time to cut or did somebody just look at the balance sheet and be like, yeah, no, that they got to go. I don't care who it is. I, I'm not, I'm not going to answer that question. Yeah. It, it's probably, but I mean, my assumption is a little bit of both, right? I mean. If there's not enough, if there's not enough of the, uh, uh, you know, D players, well, what are you going to do? Be moving up the food chain, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it's interesting because, you know, again, as I referenced just a minute ago and sort of the small versus big, I try to think about the concept of layoffs within the construct of a 50 person company or a 30 person company. Right. And, and it doesn't exist. Right. The, the idea the, the the idea just does not translate. There is no such thing as a mass layoff for a small company because it's too small. Right. What I mean, you're going to go in and say, I'm going to cut the top. I'm going to cut the bottom 10 percent of your 30 person company. So you're going to cut three people like what that you think about. It doesn't even make any sense. Right. I mean. Fat just usually isn't sitting around inside an organization well, of that size. So. Correct. There is no fat like you. You don't. I mean, it. it I mean, if you, the fat would be you hired somebody and it was a bad hire, right? And if you're just, you know, either for whatever reason, not willing to, 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 to pull the trigger, or it could be lots of reasons why you have one or two people inside a small organization who are maybe not great, but they're, you're, you, you haven't fired them. That's the closest thing. I, I can't think of any other corollary. I mean, is there one? You know, with a couple couple dynamics there. Like if you end up with other people's money funding your business, I think you can get a little fat in, uh, at times sure. and, and kind of overshoot the mark. And then you've got to. Well, you're betting on the come, right? Then how much how much bet on the come are you doing? Like we're gonna we're gonna staff up because we got to go. We know we're, we we have to grow. We don't really know how we're gonna grow, but we have to grow in 2023. So we're gonna hire 20 engineers. And they're going to magically write some, they're going to create some new products that we're going to sell, or we're going to hire 10 sales guys 
because they're going to go sell whatever we've got on the truck, right? And and I don't know if how they're going to do it, but they're going to do it, right? Yeah, different set of dynamics there. Now, the, you know, you know, the bootstrap organization, you're usually understaffed because you're trying to make sure you've got it all. It's the opposite, right? Yeah, you're you're constantly thinking like, what would be better? Would it would I, would we be better off if we hired one or two more people? And be, yeah, and so you know, if you're letting people go, some shits hit the fan more than likely, and so you're 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 at that point, it's just right. you know, it's injury avoidance. Uh, yeah, I, had, I had a company of twelve people, and I had to fire two, and that's because we were we were running out of cash. Right? I mean, it was it was a try it was to try to add a month or two runway to see if we couldn't pull a rabbit out of a hat to, to the circumstances. Yeah, exactly. So. I mean, that's not, that's not a layoff. That's a, that's an existential crisis, right? You, you mentioned, um, uh, the article that you'd read. Um, you know, I think, if, I do think there's a certain amount, like, like we all know analysts and what wall street does is it's very incestuous in terms of opinions and um, you know, monkey see monkey do type behaviors. And frankly, like it or not, and, and whether it's right or wrong really doesn't matter. It, it's that sort of how things work. And so if, if somebody is doing it as a preemptive measure, then others have to do it or those that don't become damned. And I think if, I think if you had a retired CEO who's on this call right now, he would say we absolutely, and, and he ran a, a peer company where the others, it was the market conditions were tough and they were doing layoffs. I think he would, I think he would absolutely, he or she would absolutely say, you know what? We did layoffs because everyone else was doing it, and we knew we would get crushed in the markets if we didn't. And 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 you know what? You can't. What what are you are you supposed to say? He's he, he that they're wrong for that. I mean, it doesn't make it. It's stupid, but it's it's logical, right? I mean, it it doesn't mean he doesn't mean it's it's wrong in that sense, but it's not rational, especially when the whole goal is to save money, right? Where to to Law's point, I mean, you gave a funny example about the benefits, but. The example, the research shows the severance payments, the contractors that you have to pay, because in general, if you're doing layoffs, most organizations are just not that fat where they can just cut 10 or 20% and like literally nothing, you know, they just dump 20% more work on everybody else. They turn right around, hire people back as contractors because, you know, all this kind of stuff. More expensive. That's, that's his point is it's actually significantly more expensive. It has to be. It's right? a local healthcare company layoff. I'm going to say conservatively six to 800 people in an IT staff. And lo and behold, all these little uh, placement agencies around town are overnight hiring up everybody and their brother and to, to, to be in operations and, and staffing and sales and everything else. And what do they do? They grab all those people and they shuffle them all right back into the same company. At a 50 to, at a 50 to 75% premium, right? Because, because it's short-term labor. It's just like, it's like going to the convenience store to buy milk versus buying it at the, you know, at Costco. I mean. It looks a little different in terms of the, the long-term operating expense. And so, right. you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a premium expense, but yet uh, hits the books different. So, you know, it's another big company stupid behavior, but I, I get it. I understand it. I'm not saying it's silly, but yeah. I think it's silly too. So, well, long-term, I mean, long-term it, it is, a, it's a competitive disadvantage in my opinion for larger companies to have to, to have to follow that behavior if that's what the market's dictating. And again, the, to your point, I mean, I don't think anybody can argue that the folks who are on wall street and sort of the analyst community and that group, right. And, and professional investors, et cetera, these are smart people. They're not stupid. Right, we're not we're not talking about we're not talking about lack of intelligence here. We're, we're, it just goes to show you that the power of conventional wisdom and activity bias and you know comparative thinking can really cause 
you know, can, can, can really be bad, uh, can, can create some bad incentives around choices you'd make for long-term performance. Now, what I just said was long-term performance. That assumes that people are interested in long-term performance. And I don't know that the bulk of investors in big, in big companies are interested in long-term performance. 24-hour news cycle, active online trading, low commission trades. Monthly results, you know, you've got, I mean, incentive pay structures are not 10-year payouts. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're one to three years, right? That kind of thing. I mean, you, you, it's an interesting. It's an interesting how how much that can can skew this kind of thinking. Because if you really did take a long term perspective, you'd be like, "Look, I'm not doing that. That's dumb. Long term, we're gonna we're we'll be better off if we don't do this, right?" And and someone who understood the math and thought about it in that way, because it's not like an analysts aren't stupid. They can run. They understand discounts and present values and all that stuff. Right. What's your discount period? What is your time horizon? Right. Because if it's three years, you don't care what matters in year ten. That's what's funny. You know, I used to, I think that, that go back maybe 20, 30 years, you know, you pull a lever, the market actually has time to adjust and condition and respond in, ter- in sort of a ripple effect. Nowadays, you pull the lever, you expect an immediate result. And so, you know, people are constantly making these, these, these massive sea changes. And, you know, the market responds literally within an hour or two. Like it's so, I mean, this. Yeah, the information gets priced in real fast. Yeah. Correct. Saying. So, so it's, I don't envy anybody's position and all that. I think it's very difficult. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, listen, when you go to become a publicly traded entity, you know what you're getting into. That's right. Yeah. You, you're signing up for it. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is how it works. So you, there's another way to fix that. Don't, don't be publicly traded. Like, so, uh, you know, just is what it is. Well, this feels this feels a little bit like an opportune time, and I've, I've referenced it a couple of times. Just talk a little bit about the merits of you know small versus big. Um, I've been I've listened to a couple of things lately that have, have have kind of a couple of guys talking about you know sort of the small is beautiful concept, and and you know you can fall in love with that, you can romanticize that all you want. There's some there's some distinct disadvantages to being small, um, you know, and and I don't think anybody. Anybody who's ever run a small business is nodding, going, "Yeah, no shit, man." You know, uh, I mean, I, and that's 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 real. But uh, you know, as you think about companies like Plow, it doesn't have to be Plow, but companies like us. You know, we're thirty, thirty-five people, right? So companies of of a hundred or less, or maybe fifty or less, or, you know, maybe more than ten. So not startups. We're not talking about you know. We're not talking about startups. We're talking about, and we're generally talking about what I'd call dull, normal businesses, not venture back companies. They're trying to you know, create something and, and make a market. We're talking about people selling, you know, traditional goods and services, uh, in, you know, in a competitive marketplace, but are fairly small. And so what, when you guys think about that, what, let's start with the advantages. What do you think the advantages a smaller company has over larger companies from a competitive perspective relative to size? I mean, agility is the first word that comes to mind always. Just yeah. agility. Um, you know, uh, I, I would I would say agility and flexibility are almost one and the same, depending on the you know your vantage point. But I think that's probably number one. Um, n- number two is uh, grit, determination, um, that type of thing. I think I think when it's not automatic, you know, I mean, if you walk out on the court and you're seven foot tall, you're probably going to get some points up on the board. Like it's just it is what it is. If you take a five foot five guy, it's going to be a little bit scrappy. And I think you're going to find smaller organizations can be a little more scrappy because they have to be. Right. They just, you know, uh, they don't they don't have much of a choice and they usually have a bone to pick or a point to make or, you know, something to prove. And and I think that can benefit everybody. Um, 
I culture think, attaches. I think culture attaches to that too. Like you, you still mm-hmm. have the ability to to lead by example as it relates to the culture of the organization. And the bigger you get, the harder it gets to maintain that. Yeah, um, I think I think a couple other things happen. I think there's an appreciation for the business that you do have that. You know, if you're really big, you can give somebody the the walk away. Like, so what? I don't care. You know, I mean, you're one of a thousand customers. Get in line. Like, you said that sort of attitude doesn't typically exist inside the smaller organizations that are servicing customers. The other thing is, I think in terms of employability um, or upward mobility for employees, it, that that exists a lot more inside a smaller organization because there's not as much structure to um, you know there may be good and bad of that structure to the HR environment to say well. Our policy is is you have to be here X number of years before you're able to, you know, eligible for right. promotion. Smaller shop, it's are you good at what you do? Can you do more? Great, then take on more. Here you go. Here's opportunity. So, um, you know, there's a cross training that goes with that too, right? Because yeah. in the bigger organization, yeah. you get siloed pretty quick. It's like this is what you do, and your next step typically yeah. stays. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, you're going to have a more fine grained division of labor, right? Cause you've got more people. It just, it makes sense. Right. I mean, that, that would be, that, that's what, that's what you would do in that situation. Which so creates that fat. You can say that by the way, yep. that creates that fat that allows those layoffs. Yeah. They're not those, those riffs and those. Yeah. Because it's harder to adjust to market conditions. Right. I mean, if you've got cross-trained people that can do a variety of different things, again, not cause you're smarter, but because out of necessity, you don't have a choice. Right. Then that means if one part of your business starts to do better, well, you can just sort of, well, y'all just focus more over there. Instead of that being 20% of your job, it's now 70%. And it's, you don't really notice it almost, it almost just sort of happens, I think, gradually or, or, or organically without you meaning to. Now catch me on another day though. And I'll tell you all the things that are positive about a small shop or the same things that are negative. about a shop. Sure. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I don't want to romanticize this. I wanted to, t- I was using this because we just we're just picking on big companies about year end bullshit and and layoffs or whatever. They also have, I mean, they've got some real natural advantages, right? And I mean, let's face it, we have some governmental things that really create disadvantages for us as a small company, particularly around benefits, right? The fact that benefits are attached to your workplace, primarily health insurance, is a gigantic problem for small companies, and none of us can none of us can do anything about that unless unless and until the law changes, right? We're never going to be able to compete with GM or whoever in terms of what, what we can do because of this, because it's a, it's one of those where size gives you an advantage in terms of purchasing and we're not, we're never going to get that. So well, you get, you get employer, you know, tax subsidies and the, the, you know, Oh yeah. I wasn't even getting into the crony capitalism, getting to know your congressman and getting some, you know, getting some bullshit, you know, advantage, which none, we're never going to get right. I mean, yeah, I was and, gonna say. now we don't waste any time trying to do it either. So we're not spending any money on people trying to, you know, feed off that, which is great. But you also, sometimes you win at that and you get, you hit the lottery and it works out, and and that's just not going to happen for us. Despite the fact that everybody in government talks about how great small business is, I mean, yeah, come on, yeah, right. you yeah, know. Completely. So, um, yeah, we can we can bitch about that all we want, but sure, it's but it's not it's not worth it. Yeah. Now, if I were the recipient of that, I might have a different opinion, but I... <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I get. I'm it. a big I get supporter it. of it. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I do think the smaller companies. Um, well-run small companies to have a strong advantage. Uh, but, you know, just because you can go out and conjure up a few nickels to rub together and get somebody on a W-2 doesn't necessarily mean that you have any business running a company. And we've seen a lot of that, too, um, where I think as an employer, even as a company hiring people, um, 
you know, it makes it uh, it makes it difficult uh, to. Uh, sorry, I just got an instant message that came through that was quite distracting. I'm not, I'm not go there. Um, but I, I think um, I think there's risk in small businesses. I think you've got to have, I mean, some tenure behind them to prove that they're they're on, they're, they're they've got some you know sustenance. I mean, I know for the first few years, trying to convince large customers that were working with us that we were going to be around, you know, the, the default answer was, well, you guys are small. How many people do you have? How long have you been in business? And, you know, you're always like, uh, not a lot of people, not very long in business, but I promise you we're going to do a really good job. And, you know, I mean, that all just is lip service until you've got some, some, you sure. know, yeah. some and time that's, behind you. And that's a, that's a distinct disadvantage for small companies that, I mean, in essence, there is no large company that's not been around for very long and doesn't have a lot of employees. Like, so, so that, you know what I mean? Big companies that are overnight companies scare the shit out of me. Well, they, those are almost always the most spectacular failures, right? I mean, but in general, the average large company been around a long time, you know, been around, you know, grown through it. a couple decades, what, you know, plus whatever, you know, now not forever because big companies die all the time. People forget that. Um, if you look at, you know, go back, go back and look at the Dow Jones and you see, you know, the companies that, I mean, the, the Facebooks and Amazons of the world, a hundred years from now, some of those people are going to look back and go, I don't even know what that is like that. That's it's cause they'll be completely gone. Right. Even though today it seems like they're here forever and they'll never go away. And, and, but it's, it's more dynamic than it appears. But if you're a two-year-old company with four employees, it, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge, right? I mean, that's a, that's, that's a, you, you've got reputational there's a risk because if you if you do sell to larger companies, now if you sell to other small companies, it's maybe not a big deal. But if you sell to larger companies, I mean, you know, the last thing somebody at a big company wants to tell their boss is that they they hired a vendor who was small and then didn't work out, right? Now if they hire a big one and they suck, they don't get in trouble for that. It's like the old buying IBM thing from back in the day, right? Um, <clears throat> but that's that just shows you how risk averse and stupid that is, frankly. Um, but but you know that's back to that's back to the incentives. There were two things I thought, that, if you don't mind, um, that I'd like to share around small companies that I think we forget about as advantages for everybody. And the first one is, if you're small, you don't actually have to get that much business to be viable, right? Which is a huge advantage um, because if you're real big, you got to get, a. I mean, think about how hard it is to move the needle, right? If you're big, I mean, you've got your customer, you either got to get a lot more customers or your customers have got to get a lot bigger. Right. And that's, and that's every year everybody off. <clears throat> or, or you can lay everybody off and it's actually not going to save you the money that you think it's going to. <laughs> right? Those are your options. <clears throat> Whereas a small company, you don't have to get, you don't have to get everybody in a, in a market segment to be successful, right? So you can be more niche. You can, you can, you can do things in a way that you can't at a big company. And then the second one was that longer term perspective that we talked about. Again, assuming you're not, you know, haven't taken investment money and someone else is telling you what to do which is a very, very small percentage of small companies. Most small companies are owner financed and maybe have some debt, which is very often personal guarantees. So the, the bank or lending company is not really getting in your shorts. They just want the payments. They don't really give a damn about how you do things. Uh, and they're fine for you to live forever because they'll just keep making the payment. <laughs> that's, that's perfectly fine with them. So those are the two things that kind of came to mind that are, are really structural advantages. It's hard for a big company. They cannot compete with that. They have lots of other advantages. Those are not two of them. Um, anyway, uh, we could go on that for a while, but we'll <clears throat> we'll move on to kind of the, the last little bit here. And since it's you know end of year, we talk some about sales and 
some of that stuff. The other thing that goes on this time of year, obviously, is budgeting and planning for the next year, which we don't necessarily call it this. And in a big company, you certainly don't. But basically, it's it's a whole set of predictions, right? Any any exercise about saying what you're going to do next year is a prediction exercise. Even though, again, no one calls it that inside a big company because that sounds like, you know, doesn't sound very scientific. Performa is far more sexy. Yeah, it sounds sounds and it sounds way scientific. Like because if it's on a spreadsheet, it must be true, right? Never mind all the assumptions, right? But you know, it's prediction time. The media is going to be filled with talking heads pontificating on what's going to happen in 2023. People in companies are pontificating on what's going to happen inside their company. Again, they don't call it that, but they are. And then you know everything that's going on: inflation, recessions, wars, pandemics, all this shit that's been going on last couple of years that has gone on forever. It's just felt more uh, intense lately. Um, you know, the internet's going to be, and the airwaves could be full of it. And to quote one of my former guests, Dr. John Petroselli, almost all of it is, you know what? Bullshit, right? That's exactly what it is. It's bullshit. None of these prognosticators have any idea what's going to happen. They're guessing. They won't say they're guessing, but they're guessing. And if they get it right, they're lucky, Right. Most likely they'll be wrong because it's really hard to predict stuff. Law, what is flying around your computer? It looks, is that light or is it bugs? You're on mute. It's light. It's, he, he has somehow light. captured light and made it fly you know, around. You know, what, you, know, you know what's funny? Is that sunlight coming from there is the same sunlight that's going through your window back there, eight hours apart. Eight hours? I'm only an hour apart. What are you talking about, eight hours? Where do you think I am? Where are you? You're at home. I know. I'm one hour apart. I, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm dialed you're in. You're an hour from me? Eight hours. You mean distance. I thought you meant time zones. I'm sorry. Well, it's only six and a half, but that's fine. Two, two okay. Einsteins. Seven so, and a half, whatever. You know, between here and North Carolina, it takes eight hours. <laughs> like, whatever. Okay, I get you now. There was still some shit flying around your computer that looked like moths. So. Well, I also I, gave a little pause and a wipe. Yeah, it, it was distracting cool me. Gotcha. I gotcha. Um, anyway, we were talking about prognosticating and predicting. And the bottom line is predicting is super hard. So if you had a crystal ball or you had a, you had a, you, you could, you, you know, the, the genie showed up with three wishes. What do you wish we could more easily predict at plow? I, I, Cause none of it is easy. So what would you, what would you want to be easier? I'm not saying perfect, but easier. Um, in context of this conversation, I would say, um, success rate of success rate and ramp time of new sellers. The people themselves, not deals, but the people, people deals are out there. Deals are plentiful. Deals are being one every day that we're not involved in because we're not out in front of them, but the, to, to, to expand upon that, technology ages. Technology empowers. It's you know, if it's three year or five year life cycles, you got to look at it. We've got people who bought stuff two and two and a half years ago that still haven't gotten their stuff. It's going to be halfway aged off on their books before they even take possession of it. Like the the constant expiration of assets and things left some pent up a you know buying uh, uh, sort of need. That hasn't yet to be satisfied. So to think that this all is going to dry up and go away, at least within the foreseeable 36 months, 
to think there's going to be some downturn in the tech economy, at least in the, the, the markets we play in, I think is crazy. I mean, now if cash dries up for everybody, it's a different story. So, you know, there's a ripple effect of the economics of whatever supplying our, you know, our customer basis revenue supply chain. But I mean, at the end of the day, I don't see much change in our space. So it's really, it, I, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't want to do anything if I wouldn't want any wishes granted to me in this hypothetical scenario to, that, that gave me a better opportunity or some sort of insulative capacity in what we think is going to happen in the market as a downturn. Cause I don't think it's, I don't think it's happening. I don't think it's going to happen. Now, what I'd like to do is to have more certainty uh, with the performance of expense. So if we, if we sign up for or invest, you know, X amount of dollars into how many butts in a seat to go tackle or find net new revenue that's existing in the marketplace. I'd want to know if I put a dollar in, I can get $3 out in this period of time because they're going to perform. That would be what I'd want. Got it. And I think a lot of small business people would say exactly the same thing. Although I don't, I'm not sure a big company response would be, would be similar to that. It's just a, I don't know that for sure. Law, what about you? What, what, what comes to mind for you? It's in line with that. It's the it's You're the next kind of the same opinion. You have to come it's, up with it's it's the, the, the uh, <laughs> yeah, let me put the sun back on you. The next yeah. uh, it's the next competitive advantage. It's the it's that next thing that's out there from a service perspective that we could embrace and get in front of and be first to market with. And then it's you know ramping of sellers. It's the insight to revenue to me. Like I mean the the the, the clearest yeah. insight to revenue that would allow yeah. you to take you know, to take those investments that you want to make and push the chips in and, and really accelerate things. That's, I mean, to me, that's what I would want to see. Most of everything that people do in these businesses, it's a guess. It's a wild ass guess with a, with a few indicators and then a whole lot of confidence or, or some degree of confidence. So, I mean, I hear all kinds of people like, this is what I'm going to invest in. This is what I'm going to get out of it. And they're just super confident about it. I'm like, okay, I'll talk to you in a year and we'll see how right you were. Now, most of the time, I think that they're right because they had the balls to do it. I mean, to be frank. Well, I mean, it, this comes back to, I mean, it comes back to what you're investing in. I mean, I don't know that there's ever been a time in the history of modern business where hiring good people who are good at things and more than one thing is a bad investment, right? I mean- there, there may be times now, again, the time horizon matters. It may be not be, it might not be 12 months. It might not be 24 months. But when you, I mean, when I think about our, I mean, I look at this question that I wrote, you know, what are the best ways to deal with the fact that the future is essentially unknowable, right? Then the, And there's only one answer to that, which is try to be good at some things that you feel like are pretty perennially, perennially needed. And then if you can do that, right, then you can at least sleep pretty well at night barring something very unusual happening, right? I mean, let's face it. If there's a world war, we're all going to have to make some serious adjustments, right? But that's not what we're, I mean, I mean, most of us, you can't really, you don't want to factor that in your blink. Are you seeing that too, Cameron? See, I'm not the only one. It's like a moth flying around your computer. Oh it's, yeah, we've got a lot of moths in the house. I'm gonna tell you, we're raising moths now. Okay. You're like James Gum. You're like James Gum from, uh, from Silence of the Lambs. You know. Wait a minute. Little <laughs> anyway. All right, look, we're going to move on. We're going to wrap it up. I, this could go on. I could talk to you boneheads forever. Uh, and especially if we can quote movies from the 80s and 90s, we could do that all day. Um, so let's wrap it up with a little holiday fun um, since we were supposed to have a party to get to, but that already happened. Um, let's talk about a few of our holiday favorites. So Cameron, 
you first. What's your favorite gift you got as a child? A guitar amplifier. Law? A big one. Yeah. Because most people have one that hits immediately. I do. Redline, Redline PL20 BMX bike with a damn good chain. That's pretty smooth. I got a Rampar 400 being the same thing bike, and it was bad. I was so excited I could hardly oh, stand man. it. Oh, yeah. good. Vintage BMX bikes are on the rides. Just are FYI. They? Oh, yeah. I never, I never forget saying, oh, my God. It's got a damn good chain. And my granddad, who was sitting on the couch, almost I was 12 or 11, almost had a heart attack. Like, no, no, that's what it's called. <laughs> it's called. Yeah, you weren't cursing. You were calling it its name. Yeah. It's what it's called. All right. Favorite Christmas song? Favorite holiday song? Hmm. Am I up first? Honestly, <laughs> Eartha Kit Santa Baby. I'm a fan of. I like All that right. song. I'm gonna go creepy. Good job. I like yeah. Check the balls on that old holly. La, 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 la. <laughs> well, I don't remember that one. <laughs> yeah. What Christmas uh, time? In- that's also a great song. Yeah, it's Christmas time and Christmas and Hollis is you can't. Great you know, song, dude. It totally is. I got to go with Twelve Days of Christmas" by Bob and Doug McKenzie. Um, that's a that's that's a solid. It's solid. All right, favorite Christmas me- movie? Law, you're up. Oh, dude, Christmas Vacation, hands down, same close. Hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's easy. That's not even. That's not even fair. <clears throat> and the last one, your favorite holiday cocktail. Remember, I had these questions. We were getting. We we're supposed to be going to the Christmas party from doing this podcast, so it was a little more relevant at that point. But do the best you can. Cam- Cameras is going to be so much better than mine because he's going. Well, have he's going to have some. He's, he's going to pull out his little kit and show us how he makes oh, it. Yeah. There's no question. Yeah, I'm. I'm probably just going to stake with something basic, which is. Just a good old Manhattan, you know, sitting around the fire with a good Manhattan. I was going to say anything brown. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing fancy. Like Christmas cocktail, whatever, you know. Yeah. Bourbon. I mean. Yeah. Something something brown. Bourbon. 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 Keep it simple. Yep. Yep. All right, boys. Cool. Thanks, Link. Thanks. Thanks, Link. Talk to you all later. Bye. Okay. That's a wrap for 2022. I'd like to personally thank everyone at Plow who has helped make this podcast possible, especially Emily Starnes and Talia Brooks who have made it happen every two weeks this year. Last but not least, thanks to everyone who has listened at some point during 2022. We really appreciate you taking time to listen. I hope you feel it was worth your time. Happy holidays. We'll be taking a break until after the first of the year. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, we'd appreciate it if you would become a subscriber wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, that would really help us out. Or you can just go old school and tell your friends, your family, your colleagues, and hell, anybody else who you think might want to hear something like this to listen in. If you're on social media, make sure to follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at cuttheshit underscore pod. We are also on TikTok, at cuttheshitpod, all one word, where we post lots of clips from the podcast. And last but not least, you can also watch the YouTube version of the show on our YouTube channel at Plow Networks. Until next time, take care and have a great day.